<clears throat> sometimes people are incredibly bad adverts for the product that they are selling. And I think sometimes we can feel a bit like that in our Christian lives. We can feel a bit like a bad advert for Christianity. That if people looked at our lives, if people really saw the struggles and the difficulties and our suffering and our problems, then would people really want to follow us in following Jesus? It seems more sensible, as some people say, that Christianity is better presented by those who are obviously healthy and powerful and influential and happy and successful. It seems to make sense. After all, it seems how this world works. How other groups and beliefs and ideologies gain their following by presenting a really polished and attractive face of course one of the problems with that thinking is that for those of us who struggle with life or who experience suffering and pain who've gone through tough times then it can lead us just to feel discouraged and defeated and in despair it can make us feel that we need to give up serving God Because we feel that our lives are in such a mess that God can't use us. But I don't think that's the main problem with this thinking. The main difficulty with the idea that effective ministry is only for those who have it all together is that it just isn't true. God hasn't chosen to work that way in this world. God hasn't chosen to work through perfect people whose lives are everything that they would ever want. Instead, God has chosen to work through His people. Not only despite their suffering, but God has chosen to work through His people even through His suffering. Through their suffering. This is what Paul teaches in this wonderful passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, from verse 7 to verse 18. And we're just going to read it now. It's a wonderful passage. I hope you really grasp what it's saying, and I hope I can explain it to you sufficiently, because it's just a wonderful passage of Scripture for us this morning. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, in verse 7. But we have this treasure... In jars of clay. To show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that his life may be revealed in our mortal body. So then death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. It is written, I believed, therefore I have spoken. 
with that same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore speak because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you in his presence. All this is for your benefit so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, and what is unseen is eternal. Last week we were thinking about how that even although shining the light of the gospel is difficult and challenging and costly, we can say with Paul, we do not lose heart, as he says in verse 1 of this chapter. We do not need to be discouraged. We do not need to give up, because no matter how dark this world is, and no matter how dark people's hearts get, God is able to dispel the darkness. And in this section, Paul repeated his commitment to keep going in his service for God. He said again, we do not lose heart. He wasn't going to give up. He wasn't going to walk away from following Christ. He wasn't going to give up serving Him or from sharing the gospel. But here there's a little change in emphasis. He wasn't so much focusing on the difficulty of overcoming the darkness in this world and in people's hearts. Rather, he was focusing on the difficulty of overcoming the struggles and the suffering in his own life. He will not give up because, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly, we are being renewed day by day. So this morning, our, our, my goal is just that we're going to try and understand what Paul meant by that. In what way did he feel like he was wasting away? And in what way was he able to overcome and, and encourage himself and be renewed day by day? And how can this encourage us to overcome the struggles and the suffering in our lives so that we can keep on serving God throughout our lives? So first of all, what did Paul mean when he wrote outwardly, we're wasting away? Well, Paul here is obviously talking about his outer self. His physical being, this body of of brain and lungs and heart and muscles and skin and bones. And he said that his physical being was wasting away. It was decaying. It was getting weaker. It was dying. 
Paul didn't think of himself as a picture of physical health and strength and vitality. Paul wasn't some kind of superman in peak physical condition with rippling muscles or exceptional energy or impenetrable immunity. In fact, he said that he was more like a jar of clay. He was saying that on the outside, there's nothing special about us. We look like earthen vessels. Unremarkable. Ordinary. With the same fragility that everyone else has. Subject to decay. And vulnerable to disease and injury. We are wasting away just like everybody else. So Paul's faith didn't insulate him from all the suffering in the world. In fact, it was the opposite of that. Paul's faith actually brought suffering to him. Look at verse 10. He says this this startling phrase. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus. Paul's body was battered and bruised and scarred because he was committed to following Jesus. Later in this letter, he wrote in in chapter 11 of of this letter, we'll look at it in more detail later on as we go through this letter, but if you just look at verse 24, he says this, five times... I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a day and a night in the open sea. Now thankfully most of us don't face opposition or persecution like that. But clearly we can see that following Jesus is not the way of comfort and ease but rather of costly sacrifice and committed service and constant struggle. This is what Jesus said in Luke chapter 9, verse 23. If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Jesus calls us to lay down our lives for him. Lay down our ambitions. Lay down our desires. Lay down our comfort. And put his kingdom and his righteousness first. No matter what the cost. And in case you you thought it was, this is not easy. This is difficult. Paul wasn't some stoic who kind of refused to acknowledge the challenges of pain and suffering in his life. He wasn't just brushing this off and saying, look, I've gone through all of this and it's no bother at all to me. I can just keep on going. He wasn't that guy. 
Instead, Paul openly admitted his struggles here. Verse 8 and 9, he said, We are hard-pressed on every side. We are perplexed. We are persecuted. We are struck down. Paul felt surrounded on every side by trouble and hardship and affliction. He felt cornered at a loss, feeling as if there was no way out. He felt in himself hounded and oppressed and harassed. He felt knocked down and deeply hurt. Some Christians feel it's wrong to admit their difficulties and struggles. That it's somehow dishonouring to God. Or it shows a lack of faith. But Paul wasn't like that. Of course, this isn't all that he said on the issue. But he is remarkably open and honest about the problems that he faced and how much of a physical and emotional impact it had on him. So no wonder Paul said, outwardly, we are wasting away. He was an ordinary human being like us. Facing the same challenges of physical and emotional pain, of weakness and tiredness. And yet, and yet Paul was not disheartened by that. He wasn't discouraged. He didn't think that his sufferings or his scars prevented him from serving God. Yes, his outer self was decaying. But yet inwardly, he says, we are being renewed day by day. In his inner self, in his spirit, he was experiencing a heart-renewing power. And this was because he'd fixed his mind on some amazing truths of what God was doing in him. Not only despite his sufferings, but even through his sufferings. And we're just going to look down through some of these uh, this morning, and I hope some of them really grab grab your heart and encourage you this morning. First of all, verse 7, he says, that although we are a jar of clay, we have this treasure within. We've been given the most amazing gift. A priceless Jewel. What is that treasure? Well, if you look back at verse 6, it tells us. It is the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. This is not just an accurate knowledge about God. But rather it's a personal, it's a loving, it's an intimate relationship with God. It starts the very moment that we trust in Jesus. When we're completely forgiven. When we are declared righteous in God's sight for eternity. When we've been set free from condemnation and guilt. When we're adopted as a child of God. When we're welcomed into the family of God. And when we are sealed with the Holy Spirit of God. 
This is what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 1 verse 3. That God has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. And that's you and I. If we've trusted in Jesus. This isn't just some super Christian kind of experience for those who have got a bit further than the the majority of us. This is for every single one of us. We have this treasure. The greatest of all blessings. The most precious prize. The most valuable treasure. And the most costly gift. Because it costs nothing less than the blood of Jesus. Shed on the cross for us. We do not lose heart because we have this treasure within. And amazingly, our ordinariness, our struggles, our difficulties, our weaknesses don't hide, don't dim the brilliance of this treasure. Instead, it allows it to shine all the more. Verse 7 again. We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. It's not a problem that the light of the knowledge of the glory of God is in us who are wasting away. In fact, it's God's plan and purpose. Because our powerlessness more clearly reveals God's power. I think sometimes we can be tempted to think that we most effectively witness to God's power and grace when we're doing really well. When we're feeling strong and healthy, and energetic, and we can do things for God. But instead, Paul says that God has chosen to reveal His power more clearly in our lives when we're weak. Because then, when we feel powerless, when we feel incapable, when we are humbled and broken, then we put no trust in ourselves and instead totally depend on Him. And when people see that in our lives, they don't look at us and say, wow, they are great, I want to be like them. Instead they say, There God is great. I want to get to know Him. That's what God wants in our lives. Paul actually learned this lesson through a very painful personal experience. Again, he wrote about it in this letter. We're going to look at it in more detail in chapter 12. But here was the lesson that God taught him when God said to him, My grace sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness and so although Paul felt weak and drained although Paul felt the pain and 
owed everything that happened to him and what was happening to him. He was not defeated. Back to verse 8, we are hard pressed on every side, but not crushed. Why? Because God was his strength. He was perplexed, but not in despair. Why? Because God was his hope. He was persecuted, but not abandoned. Why? Because God was his ever-present helper. He was struck down, but not destroyed, because God was his shield and his strong tower. This means that no matter how weak or unable we feel, we do not need to lose heart. Because we will not be defeated. Because our strength is not in ourselves. It's not in the strength of our will. It's not in the strength of our commitment. It's not even in the strength of our bodies. Our strength is in the Lord. So we can declare with the psalmist, God is our refuge and strength. And ever present help in trouble. Therefore we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea. God is that solid rock that we can stand on, no matter what is going on in our lives. But we can also be sure that God will use our suffering to achieve his purpose. Verse 10 we read the first part of this before. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus. But that's only part of the story. Paul goes on, So that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. On the cross, Jesus died so that we might live. And God was continuing to bring life from death. Paul's body bore the scars of the suffering for Christ. But through that, God was working to bring others to faith in Christ. Until life forever. And God has done that down through the history of the church. It was a second century Christian, a guy called Tertullian, who said this famous phrase, the blood of martyrs is the seed of the church. The blood of martyrs, he was talking about the fact that when people killed Christians for their faith in Jesus, trying to stamp out Christianity, that wasn't going to work. It was actually going to cause the growth of this faith. And God continues to build his church through the suffering of his people. If you look at places like China or Ethiopia or Iran where there is remarkable growth in the church right now, then you'll see that that growth has come through times of incredible suffering. I think that's got some really important lessons for us today. It means that if we make our ultimate goal, our comfort, or our ease, or our happiness, or our prosperity, 
If we make that our greatest desire, then we will never be the people that God wants us to be. And we will never serve God as he calls us to. Because serving God includes going through times of suffering for him. But it also means that whatever following Jesus costs us, and I know that for some of you, you've experienced that cost in family pressures, in difficulties, in people rejecting you, or even other issues. No matter what it costs us though, we do not need to lose heart. Because God is able to take our suffering and use it to bring people to himself and to build his church. And the ultimate impact of all of that is that God will be glorified. Verse 15, all this is for your benefit. So that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. So instead of being ashamed of his suffering, instead of thinking that that was bad publicity for God and for the faith that he was promoting, Paul understood that God was working through his suffering to bring people to accept this offer of grace and to receive that that gift of eternal life and in result bow down in gratitude and worship. So Paul's suffering was resulting in God's name being glorified. And this is the ultimate miracle of God's purpose in our lives. He's going to take our lowest times, our most difficult, tragic and painful, and if we trust in Him through those times, if we depend on Him in those times, then He is going to redeem that suffering. He's going to turn it around and use it in his plan and his purpose to glorify his name. And if that's not enough for us, then Paul's got more. He says, then God is going to invite us to share in that glory. Look at verse 14. The one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus. Present us with you in his presence. For us, suffering will not have the final say. For us, death will not be the end. Because we are looking forward to the new day. When Jesus will return and the dead in Christ will rise first and then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the air and so we will be with the Lord forever. And so no matter what we go through here on earth, our future is glorious. Verse 17, our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. 
Let's remember, Paul's troubles were not light and momentary because he had had an easy or comfortable life. This is the guy who was flogged and beaten and stoned and shipwrecked and hungry and cold and naked, naked and hated and hounded. Rather, Paul's troubles were light and momentary compared with the immense weight and the eternal duration of the glory that he would experience. We do not need to lose heart because our suffering is limited and it's temporary. But the glory to come is incredible and it's unending. But there's one final step here. Because not only was his suffering tiny in comparison with the glory of the future, his suffering was meaningful. And in some way, it was leading to the glory of the future. Our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. He wasn't saying that his suffering was earning his salvation. Of course we know that because Paul knew that he was saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Rather that he was saying that the suffering and the pain that serving God brought into his life, that was not pointless. It was not empty. It was not in vain. Because God was going to use it to allow him to more fully share in Christ's glory in the kingdom to come. And God wants to do the same in our lives. Romans chapter 8, verse 28. In all things, God works for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. God is not the author of pain and suffering in our lives. But God wants to take those difficulties. He wants to take those struggles. He wants to take those suffering. And He wants to work in those times, not only to build His church, not only to glorify His name, but also to bring us further into the blessings of the knowledge of what it means to be a child of God in God's family. And ultimately to take us further into the experience of the glory of His Son. Of course, just now, we can't see see any of that. We can't work all of that out. We can't see how this is happening in our lives. We can't see how God is turning around and working in in all these, these situations for our good. When we look at ourselves in the mirror, we only see the outer self that is wasting away. We can only see the telltale signs of being a jar of clay subject to trouble and hardship and weakness and decay. But that's why Paul finished this passage with saying, we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. 
We can't see these realities, these encouraging truths, just through our eyes, through looking around at our circumstances and thinking about how we feel today. But through our faith, we can look beyond the physical and focus on these invisible realities of what God is doing and will do in each one of our lives. That in Christ, we have a wonderful treasure. That God's power is revealed in our weakness. That God is our strength. That God brings life from death. That God is glorifying His name. That our future is glorious and our suffering is meaningful. And if we do that, if we fix our eyes on those things by faith, then even in the toughest of times, we will be encouraged. We will experience God's heart-renewing power to keep on serving God throughout all of our lives and for His ultimate glory.